everyone and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today I am with Lacey Mark um, through the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Thanks so much for agreeing to let me interview you. So uh, why don't you start out by introducing yourself. Where are you from? How old are you? So, oh God, I'm 29 now. It hurts to say it out loud. I'll be 30 this year. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, (laughs) But uh, everyone probably knows me from The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise. Um, Grew up in Jersey, born and raised in a Jersey suburb. Moved to the city after college, living in Midtown on the east side and just doing my nine to five, paying my bills and becoming a normal person again. (laughs) (laughs) Where in New Jersey? I grew up in Montville, New Jersey. It's a small suburb in North Jersey. No one's ever heard of it until I mentioned that Teresa from Bravo Housewives is from my town, and then people are like, oh, I know where that is. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's the identifier. <laughs> I'm from Rumson, so my, the situation lives like a couple towns over, and that's my claim to fame. <laughs> New Jersey really breeds a lot of reality TV, like more than I know. you think. It's, it's we're such a small state. There's a lot of drama. Um, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> to say the least. What brought you to New York? You know, it was kind of always the next um, step growing up in North Jersey. Um, like where I'm only – my parents are from – or they're still there. We're from about like 30, 35 minutes outside of the city. So even in high school, like once I had a fake ID, I was coming to the city all the time. And it was kind of like – after you graduate, you either go to Hoboken, Morristown, or New York. So I chose New York. Yeah. And what do you do? Uh, you work here in Midtown? Yeah. I manage social media for uh, some beauty companies, actually. So I guess, like, title-wise, I'm a social media manager, but I hate calling it that. <laughs> that's most literally what it is. <laughs> that's awesome. And then what did uh, you study? So here's the kicker. I went to Syracuse for um, political science and Middle Eastern government. So not exactly any kind of digital marketing at all. Yeah. (laughs) Let let alone marketing to begin with. Um, I was just like really passionate about international relations, that whole thing. I thought I'd be saving the world one day. Um, And, you know, there's still time. 30 is not that old. There's still time. So we'll see. (laughs) That 30, 30 and uh, thriving. Yeah, that's that's what I keep telling myself. (laughs) Okay, so you mentioned that you were on, I think you were Nick's season of The Bachelor? I was, yes, Nick's season of The Bachelor. So I am so fascinated with The Bachelor, and I just think it's a literal social experiment. Um, <laughs> I read the book, I think it's called Bachelor Nation by... Oh, A.B. Kaufman? Yeah, and it blew my mind, but I also still watch it. But I was wondering if you could kind of give your like backstory on what made you decide to apply um what what like yeah excited you about it yeah so uh, another really interesting turn of events mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess it makes sense that I ended up on reality tv now I'm like telling all this back I'm like oh my life should be a reality show oh it <laughs> kind of was for a little bit um so when I was 24 I was living in the city and I was dating someone that lived in Boston and so we were doing long distance, but I mean, Boston, New York's not that bad. Like it's, it, it's literally long distance, but not too horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like fresh into our relationship and we got in a fight about something dumb. I don't even remember what the fight was about. Um, but it was probably something really stupid. And I applied to the bachelor to piss him off. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Yep, literally what happened. Now, the season I applied for when that happened, that was Ben Higgins' season. But they had already, like, started filming. It was, like, way too late. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't trying to get on the show, so I didn't care. You know, I just wanted that confirmation email. So I could be like, ha, look yeah. what I did. Aren't you jealous and mad? Because, you know, when you're 24, that's what you do in a relationship. We've all grown up since then. Yeah. Um, but they keep you on file if they like what they see. But it's like they don't want you for that season or they just want you at a different time. So two years later when I was 26, they called me. They were like, are you still single and interested in being on the show? I was like, you know, I was never single or interested in being on the show. <laughs> but uh, two years later, things changed. So let's talk. Um, then I kind of just went through the motions and they ended up picking me. That's so crazy. When they called, did you like think it was a joke or something? I'd be like, I good one. <laughs> every round of casting as a sick and twisted joke every single time. Like even with my um, – they have you make a home video. They send you a list of questions and they ask you to film yourself answering it so they can get a sense for your um, stage presence. This is like one of the early rounds of casting mm-hmm. um, so they can see what you're like on camera. And I got the list of questions and I'm like, no, screw this. Like this is the most boring list of questions I've ever seen. I invited two of my best guy friends over. We got wasted, turned on a camera, and I had them just like rapid fire 20 questions at me. So my question list ended up being like, how many dick pics do you get a week? And like like ridiculous, ridiculous things that were not on their list. Their list was like, what's your ideal first date? Or like, do you like romance? I'm like, no, fuck this. I'm doing this my way. Yeah, it's um, a good way to so stand I, out. I filmed the most ridiculous video, sent it in. 15 minutes after they received it, they called me and they're like, we're skipping you around. Can you fly out to LA? So... Well, definitely work then. <laughs> so fast forward to the first night. I remember in the book, it goes until like three in the morning or something insane. Yeah, it's literally all night. You'll, you're, you can tell if you pay attention. The rose ceremony starts, it's dark out. By the time it ends, it's light out. Was it like emotionally and physically exhausting? What was it like being there? Um, You know, I went to Syracuse and I was in Greek life. So I lived in a sorority house with 30 girls for two and a half years. So to me, that part wasn't so hard, like being in a house with all these women and getting along with everybody because it's something I was used to. Um, It was getting used to the cameras um, and getting used to kind of talking about your emotions in front of a large group. That was, for me, the hardest part to adjust to where you're like sitting with four or five girls and producers are asking you, you know, talk to us about this, talk, like tell us about your feelings about this. What, how do you feel about this? And as a person who was never particularly open with my emotions, that was a bit of an adjustment for me, but it is exhausting. I mean, you're drinking, you're starting filming at like five or six o'clock and like PM and then going all through the night. So it's a lot, but after that first night, you get used to it really only takes that one night to break you in. I don't know why, but, like, after the first night, I was like, okay, this is what this is. I'm ready to do it again for another week. Damn. Did you ever feel like the producers were trying to get something out of you or something out of any of the girls? <clears throat> so, uh, for me, my experience was very different because I was not going on this show to make it a career or to further a career that I had. Mm-hmm. So, I... A, again, didn't take it seriously. And B, didn't really care that much what was going on around me. If a producer was asking me to do something I didn't want to do it, I said no. Like, to me, it wasn't that big of a deal because I was like, I don't need to stay here. I don't need to be on this. Like, I don't need to be a reality TV person. Like, if I get sent sent home because, like, I don't want to participate in this, then big deal. I didn't really care. So it was a little different for me. 
Um, I wasn't there that long for my season. I was only, I got sent home the third row ceremony. Third? No, second row ceremony. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> second row ceremony, but it was the third week. Um, and then Bachelor in Paradise after that is like really where I kind of flourished and saw a lot more of Bachelor world and how it works. Yeah. One thing I really like about Bachelor in Paradise is it's definitely more organic just given the fact that there's an equal number of guys and gals and it's more conducive to natural conversation. It's way more laid back to like the producers know based on just most literally the genesis of what the show is and how it's crafted that drama is naturally going to happen. So they don't really have to force anybody into a situation to create it because you have 15 single guys, 15 single girls, however many people it is, you know, drinking Mm -hmm. and dating each other. Shit's going to happen no matter what they do. Did you ever feel that either show like bachelor or bachelor in paradise affected your mental health in any way so i had a tough go of it with bachelor in paradise the first night of filming literally the very very first night um my grandfather passed away i'm sorry so thank you um you know he lived a very full life he died at 98 oh wow it was it was it was time we were he was ready um he didn't suffer or anything but I found out, so they found out in the next morning and told me in the morning and asked me what I wanted to do. And I was like, I need to go home. I want to go to the funeral. I need to, like, be with my family, which they kind of already knew that's what I was going to say. So they had booked me on, like, the first flight out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said to me, they're like, the second you feel like you're ready to come back, call us. We are saving your spot for you. Um, we're not going to, you know, give away your rose. Like, this, this will be waiting for you if you want it. You just tell us whenever you feel like you're ready, if you feel like you're ready. You don't want to come back. You don't have to come back. So they were really, really good to me through that whole process. Like, producers were calling me every single day, like, checking on me, asking how my family is. Like, they were really, really great. I think what, in regards to mental health specifically, my ex from the show, Daniel, is really the one who put me through the ringer and not the producers. Um, that was a very, very interesting ride. And he's the reason I didn't date anybody for a year and a half. (laughs) Is that a Canadian Daniel? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Never liked him. Good old Canadian Daniel. (laughs) So that's, um, I met Daniel in between my bachelor seasons, um, at Vinny's birthday in New York City on the Upper East Side. Oh, cool. I was going to say stagecoach. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the New York version of stagecoach, right? Like we met at the Daisy on the Upper East Side. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So we got to know each other and we actually like were a thing before Paradise. Oh, okay. Um, Actually like on a more serious level. Um, And producers found out about it and cast us together. So it was actually it was it was all part of our storyline. Like it was open, it was talked about that we were like a thing before the show. We were doing this show together, and this whole thing. Um, and by the end of it, it came out that he was like telling producers that he's just stringing me along. It came out that like he just wanted to get cast on another season, so he was using me to do it, and that he didn't really care about me. And we we were looking at engagement rings. We were looking at apartments to move in together. Like. We were looking into um, immigration lawyers because we were like, how do we get this kid a green card without a marriage license? Like, it was, we were going through all the serious things that you go through, and we were actually going through them before the show. We did all of our getting to know each other before Bachelor in Paradise. So Bachelor in Paradise, for us, we should have been coasting, and instead, like, all of these bad things came out about him. So afterwards, 
I got really down on myself. I was like, what did I miss? Like, what did I not see? I was going back through text messages, like replaying moments and conversations in my head. And I'm like, I really didn't miss anything. He's just super, super manipulative. And it was really hard for me to trust anyone in a relationship after that. Do you think he, or do you think like a certain type of guy, because I always, I find it interesting and this may just be an antiquated way of looking at it, but I find it more reasonable to be like a woman who wants to go on The Bachelor or a show like that because, I don't know, we, we like drama, we like romance. And then I just we like Instagram followers. And uh, yeah, nowadays, <laughs> I mean, nowadays we like Instagram followers. But for guys, I'm always like, huh, like what type of a guy, I don't know, like it doesn't seem as like appealing to a guy. So do you think it's like a certain fuckboy mentality that you need to have to be a guy on The Bachelor? I think honestly, for me, they're all personal trainers and they're all <laughs> trying to start, they're all trying to like start businesses and get their businesses off the ground and like yeah. the bachelor to do it. That's really the draw for them with the exception of Sean Booth, who was like, I'm coming for you, Caitlin. Like that was like a, the one exception I've seen of someone going on the show specifically for an individual. Yeah. Um, but I can see, I can see why people would view it that way. I think for guys going on this show, it's like they see what Tyler Cameron has turned into. And they're like, yeah. if I go on this show, I can date Gigi Hadid and Stassi also. Yeah. So, so nowadays that, that, will, that will shift the narrative. Yeah. And I think that was like really on the cusp of starting my first season. So for next season, like all of this just insane fame and like all these famous people loving The Bachelor, like it wasn't as like bad as it is now. Yeah, definitely. Do you, kind of quickly going back to when you were on the show and then kind of when you transitioned off into life afterwards, did you ever receive any, like, hate from people on, like, the internet or was it more support? How, how did that adjustment happen? Yes. So um, it started as hate and then it turned into support. So I got a lot of love when my grandfather passed away because that was filmed. That actually aired on the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going through that very publicly, um, you know, on Twitter, essentially. And I was getting a ton of support from co-stars, from just random fans. Like just a like a, it was it was a good it was good in that sense. Um, but then when I came back to filming, um, it was actually right after the shutdown. I had come back and like I was still a little upset. I was very easily set off. Daniel had not shown up yet and Daniel was kind of like my rock through this whole thing. So I was like, you know, my grandmother just passed away. I just want Daniel here. Like when are you guys going to send him in? Um, so for me, it was like I did a lot of crying because I'm like, when the fuck is Daniel going to show up? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm literally like I'm on this beach like waiting for my boyfriend and he's not here. Um, so that was rough. So once like all the crying started, that's when I started getting all the hate online for people saying like, she's a crybaby, She's the next Ashley. I, she's this, she's that. But then once people saw the breakup by the end of it, um, I kind of like won people back, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Um, like once it was public, like all the shit that Daniel did to me, people were like, wow, like girl power. Like, cause I kind of put him in his place on the live finale. So it was like a really good female moment but you know there's also all these like other famous people who watch the bachelor and like girl with no job 
is like hates me and dragged me on Twitter for the longest time. Now I think she's kind of just let it go. Oh my god! Um, but I walked her dog re- once. <laughs> she was really nasty to me on Twitter, which of course then in turn all her followers were really nasty to me. So it, it it's part of the whole thing. You kind of know what you're getting into when you when you go into this world. Yeah, I think from just listening to you on um, another podcast and talking to you, you seem like the type of person who's mature enough to handle those kind of situations whereas some people you just can see them being easily manipulated into becoming the villain per se just because they're not emotionally intelligent enough kind of or at least like just self-aware yeah the one like the one thing I wanted to maintain the entire time on the show off the show even with my online presence is I never want to disappoint my parents and I have like Jewish tri-state area parents yeah. so like all of my sleepaway camp kids listening to this you know who my mom is you get it um I just never wanted to do anything that would piss her off and anytime I did anything like even when I agreed to do podcasts like this and in the back of my head I'm like is this gonna upset my family because if it's gonna upset my family it's probably not authentic to who I am or the right thing to do so I'm always thinking about things like that yeah no that's great um one thing so this is kind of just shifting gears to The Bachelor and reality TV in general and overall mental health of society is that in the um, an interview you had, I am forgetting the names of the people, those two guys you were talking with, but you were talking about how the Bachelor's really changed since you were on for the worse. And I completely agree just in terms of there was no really like Instagram five years ago per se. And now people are going on. I mean, I don't know any 22-year-olds that I really want to get married. Like, I'm 24, and, like, I'll wait 10 years. So what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I struggle because I'm like, you know, I went on my first season when I was 25. I actually turned 26 during filming. So I was 26 years old, and Nick was 36 years old. And mm-hmm. even I felt like I was too young. And I was looking around me and I'm like, there are only two other women in their 30s here. And it was Rachel Lindsay and Daniel Malpe. Everybody else was my age or younger. And I'm like, how are you guys ready to get married? Have you ever paid a cable bill? Have you ever signed an apartment lease? Have you ever like applied for your own credit card? Like there's so much of life you haven't seen yet. And like before you can live it with someone else, you have to live it on your own. It's the same concept as like loving yourself before you can let someone love you. Oh, I, like, I'm you a firm believer of that. Yeah. You have to kind of do it on your own before you can fold someone else into that. And there was just so many of these girls who were just like 22 and 23. I'm like, how are you ready for something like this? The answer is you're not. And it's turned into this giant circus of people just getting famous and yeah again I don't want to blame Tyler Cameron but I blame Tyler Cameron for dating Gigi Hadid and turning it into this giant monstrosity yeah no I definitely agree and I mean I've been watching since I was really little and you know it used to be people had careers on the show and people were really there to find a relationship and now it's I mean I'm not from the south so I guess I can't say but I don't understand how you can be, like, 22 and never been kissed and want to be married and things like that. 100%. And that's why Rachel and even Andy Dorfman, too, are, like, two of my favorite bachelorettes. Self-sufficient, successful lawyers, 
well into their careers when they went down this path of bachelor. Like they had already been working. They had already been self-sustaining and becoming like power women. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that's someone to look up to. And that's someone who's a model bachelorette that all these young people watching should model themselves after. Not, you know, a a 23-year-old hot Instagram model who like still lives with mom. That's not really something that we should be using as an example. Definitely. And it's, I mean, I'm watching with a very critical eye now, obviously, but, you know, back when I was like 11 years old, I wouldn't have really had the knowledge to, to understand that, that like this isn't, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I can't put myself in mean, When it comes down to it, they are making a television show yeah, and they have to, you know, hit certain ratings, things like that. They have, they do have to make it entertaining, but I think they can do a better job at making it realistically entertaining. Because now it's literally just a circus. Yeah, I agree. Do they offer any, like, counselors or therapists when you're on the show or the producers? Yes. There's a full-time psychiatrist. Okay. Um, Anytime. Like, she's on call at whenever you want. All you have to do is tell a producer you want to talk to her and it's done. They're They're pretty good about that. Yeah, that makes sense. And Um, the testing in advance, like, the mental health testing is pretty rigorous. Was that a relatively new addition, or did they always do that? Um, it's my understanding that they've always done that. I And they make you redo it for Paradise. It's not like you can do it for one show and it carries over. Oh, so you have cool. to do a series of personality testing. You have to meet with the psychiatrist a few times and before she deems you, you know, like, I guess, quote, mentally fit mm-hmm. um, to be on the show. Although sometimes I question some people she's approved. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Are you um, watching the current season? So I started watching, and it got to the point where I literally could not watch it anymore. Yeah. So I I keep up on Twitter. I keep up with, like, the important parts that I need to keep up with. But it's really just getting hard for me to watch. It's setting setting such a bad example. It's – I just can't – I can't get on board. I I agree. It's, it's like, gotten just too – dumb dramatic in in a way like the drama it's just just... really gotten away from what the show is about I think like the last true authentic season was Sean Lowe and Catherine yeah like for me like that's a success story that's two people with similar interests who were like ready to do this and you can see the success like the proof was in the pudding at like for me that that was like a, a successful execution of The Bachelor what qualities do you think make a good bachelor or bachelor? I guess a good bachelor. Um, well, honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say Nick was very, very good at that. Nick is honest almost to a fault. He will tell you exactly what he's thinking, exactly how he feels. You'll never question it. You'll never be confused. You'll never be lost on his intention. It's, it's actually, I think, was helpful for a lot of women on our season. Um so that was really, really good. I also think it needs to be someone with a backbone and someone who's not going to be a producer puppet because it's yeah. really easy to fall into a producer plot and let them manipulate you and kind of run you around. And you have the power to not do what they want you to do. Like there, they asked me to do something. I said no, and that was it. It didn't hurt me in any way. Like the producer, they weren't mad at me. I just didn't want to do it, and it was over. Like what they – so many people are under this impression that like the producers make you do this. They make you do this. They make you do this. Honestly, they really don't. They'll give you a suggestion. You can take it or you cannot. And it's easy to be like a yes man in that situation when you 
feel like you're... Exactly. Especially if you're one of these people who, like, wants the camera time and is starving for the fame. Like, if a producer asks you to jump, you're going to ask how high because you mm-hmm. want to get your face on that camera. Whereas, like, I didn't care. Like, one girl tried to interrupt me. She was like, can I steal Nick? And I was like, no, you can come back in five minutes. <laughs> and, I, and everybody just, like, got quiet for a minute. I was like, sorry, was I not supposed to say that? I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's like this, how would you behave in, like, real life if someone came up to you? Exactly. Like, like, if I were on a date and someone came to, like, talk to my date, I'd be like, can you come back when we're done? <laughs> can you just never come back? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the New Jersey slash New Yorker in me, but I find – New Yorkers don't do well on The Bachelor. There was me. There was Izzy. There was, like, a few other people that even went home, like, night one. New Yorkers are not built for this because we have really low bullshit tolerance. Yeah, that's true. We don't, we don't want to stand for this crap. We're there for one thing, and if we're not going to get it, we're going to cash out. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, like, chip top. Like, we're, let, let's yeah, hurry this thing this up. Is, I was like, if this isn't happening, can I just go home? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's so true. Not, don't really care about the Instagram endorsements. Exactly. I don't need any fit teas. No. <laughs> I don't need any sugar bear hair vitamins. Did One thing I thought was interesting that you brought up, because I asked this um, to Lindsay Metzler. She has a dating podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you said that you need to love yourself first before you let someone else love you. And I totally agree. But could you explain what you mean by that? Yes, you need to be comfortable in your own skin. So you need to be okay being alone before you can be okay with someone else. So I find like even a lot of my friends too are like, oh, I'm so single. I hate it. I'm like, you're not going to be happy in a relationship until you're happy alone. Yeah. So figure out what's really causing you to be upset right now. Whether it's, oh, you're single, you don't have a boyfriend, like it's not a good enough reason to be unhappy. So really like, dig deep and find out what's bothering you, fix it, and then worry about a relationship. Because you're going to bring that energy into your relationship if you don't. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think when when you are in that kind of negative headspace and feeling bad for yourself and you're not going to attract anyone that way because you're not giving out vibes of like happiness and just, I don't know, not good energy. Whereas when you are feeling more comfortable in your own skin, people naturally flock to you. A hundred percent. Like even like... And I'm guilty of doing this all the time, too. I'm still working on it. Like, I bring past relationships into future relationships all the time. So I have, like, all these trust issues that stem from Daniel and all of these things. And I've been working on it for a while, but it gets to the point where it's like, like, I was just in a situation with this guy, um, actually just as of, like, a week and a half ago. And he just, like, completely ghosted me, completely disappeared, no explanation, no reason, haven't heard from him. And now I'm talking to somebody else. And I'm bringing that negativity into this next situation. So I'm like, okay, here's what I need to do. I need to take a step back, get rid of this negativity from this past situation before I continue with this current situation. Because any like you're going to bring that drama with you into the future. Yeah. Well, it's, it shows a lot that you're very like self-aware and can notice that, that you're doing something like that. So you can kind of compartmentalize the relationships and – proceed yeah it's just, it's just a matter of how hard I work like how hard I want to work to fix it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like putting in the energy is in it itself. I'm like I could I could sit around and still be upset about this old guy but that's gonna ruin something potentially really great with this new guy so like I'm balancing it <laughs> um do you go to therapy at all or anything like that um like whether it be couples therapy or just for yourself I don't, um, and I probably am a person who would really benefit from it. I probably should, um, 
but I'm also very open, like with my family and with my friends. And I talk to everybody about everything. I don't really keep things to myself. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a good quality, but um, I'm an oversharer. I share a lot, um, and my friends know that. Um, but it's so I have them kind of as my support system. Um, so I've never, I've never gone to therapy, but I'm not again, I'm not against it. Yeah. I would if I felt like I really needed to. No, I think being open is just a good quality in general because by speaking your thoughts, whether it be to a therapist or just to a friend, it's cathartic in its own way. Yeah, and I'm in a really just great position where my friends are like, hey, what's up? Talk to me. Like they're yeah. totally open to just hear everything, all of my word vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Same, or I hope, my, I hope my friends are okay with that because I definitely, <laughs> they definitely um, deal with it. okay so I usually end with asking these five questions that I pulled from this New York Times like 36 questions to get to know someone kind of thing because I I don't know I find them interesting so the first question is what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today Mm. well I don't want to get too dark but one of my best friends passed away when I was 18 and my entire group of friends, each one of us as individuals kind of handled it differently. Um, so he, it was suicide. He passed away. And we had, like, one friend who channeled it through music and wrote an album. And that was, like, super healthy for him and super great. We had one friend that, like, just partied a lot. And that was really unhealthy. And we kind of had to reel him in a little bit. So for me, that's when I started – not talking about things at all. I was holding everything in. It was really, really unhealthy. I didn't want to talk to anybody about anything until one day I just like broke. I was like, I need to talk to someone about this. So I started talking to my friends about it. And that's when I was like, sharing things is helpful. And it kind of changed how I view different parts of my personality. So that was like a really good growing experience. I also ended up going to the college that he went to. So that was like kind of a nice experience for me too. But um, I would say that was probably the biggest definer for me growing up. Wow, I'm I'm really sorry about your friend. That's that's so terrible. I like I actually also lost a friend to suicide, uh, th- going on three years ago, um, and it's so just on. You can't wrap your mind around it, and yeah. It's tough, and you try, and you try to figure out, like, what, what, kind of like what I was doing with Daniel, like, what didn't I see? What did I miss? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the answer is nothing. That person was, was suffering, and they were suffering within themselves, and they felt like they couldn't ask for help. Yeah, that's honestly the reason that I'm doing this podcast is to get people to open up and connect to something so that they know that they're not the only person going through such shit, and, like, other people are here to listen. Oh, 100%. And there's all different kinds of shit that people go through, and it affects everybody differently. Yeah. Like, for for me, I'm, like, I'm a lover. I love with my whole heart. Like, when I date someone, I throw my entire self into it. So when it doesn't work out, the aftermath's pretty bad. So, like, again, like, after I dated Daniel, I didn't date anybody for a year and a half because I was just, like, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, like, right now, like, going through this situation with this old guy into this new guy, I'm, like – I don't know if I should really be doing this because I don't feel 100% happy. But um, you work on it and you start to learn the different parts of your personality. And honestly, it took me 30 years. I'm going to be 30 in November. It took me 30 years to figure out how to do it. So I can't imagine that young kids have it figured out. Yeah, definitely, definitely not. Second question is, do you believe everything happens for a reason? 
Mm. I want to say yes, but I, I think I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I genuinely don't know because I see so often, I see bad things happen to good people. I see good things happen to bad people. And I'm like, if all of this is for a reason, it seems really fucked up. Yeah. No, so I, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. Yeah, I think it's more going out with the attitude of everything does happen. Like, just having that mentality so you see every bad thing as, like, a learning experience. Well, sometimes I don't – like, sometimes you don't learn anything. Like, there are certain situations where I'm like, what did I do wrong here? And occasionally the answer is nothing. Yeah. And when the answer is nothing, I'm like, okay, well, if I didn't do anything wrong, then what am I learning out of this? What am I getting out of this? And sometimes the answer is just absolutely nothing, which sucks. But you could try to spin it into a learning experience if possible. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I agree. It's, it's a tough one. Okay, third question is, if a crystal ball could tell you anything about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else, what would you most want to know? Oh. I would love to know who I should invite to my sister's wedding in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could. Um, <laughs> no, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm really happy in my career. I'm doing well there. I don't think that there's anything I would want to ask there. Um, but I would like to know when I'm going to find the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Because I've been kissing a lot of frogs and I'm kind of done kissing all the frogs. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things. I mean, granted, I'm like, not. it's one of those things that I don't take my own advice for. But when you're like least expecting, and it will happen, except obviously. Uh, no, because even, this, uh, even the situations I'm in when I least expected, I'm like, yeah, this one didn't work out. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. God's testing me. We'll see what he has planned. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it'll be something great. Worth the I wait. So. Do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Yes. So I actually have, um, I have this tattooed on me. Um, I have the Deathly Hallows from Harry Potter tattooed on me. Now, the story behind the Deathly Hallows is actually kind of dark, but I don't really view it as a dark story. So the symbol is a triangle with a line in the middle and a circle. Mm -hmm. And each of those three things represents something different. So the triangle represents the invisibility cloak. The line going through it is the Elder Wand, which is the most powerful wand in the world. And the circle is the resurrection stone, which means you can bring people back from the dead. If you have all three, you can escape death. So that's kind of the dark part of it. But the way I interpret it is if you can escape death, then you're really just controlling your own destiny and you're really just – you're in charge of your choices. You're in charge of everything that's happening. There's not anyone telling you what to do. So it's really more of a you are the maker of your own path situation. I love that. Are you a big Harry Potter fan? I am. <laughs> oh, I love Harry Potter. I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and I, and I like that symbolism, and it's kind of aesthetically pleasing, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Looks great on my arm. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> what do you love most about yourself? Mm. My ability to call myself out on my own bullshit. Like, there are so, so many times. There are so many times where I'm about to make a decision, and I'm like, this is a destructive decision. I'm not going to do it. And then I just stop. That's like, good. I am somehow, I don't know how. Maybe it's because I make my decisions really slowly, but I am somehow able to just kind of usually take a step back and think for a minute. And like, if I'm going to do something dumb, then I stop. Or if I follow through and I do the dumb thing, 
the aftermath is not me crying like, oh, why did this happen? I'm like, you're fucking dumb. That's not <laughs> When's your birthday? November 26th. Sagittarius? No. Sagittarius, yeah. yep. That's uh, on Thanksgiving this year, too. Oh, okay. Wait. I think my... Oh, this is bad. I think my birthday is either the day after or that day. <laughs> I should know that. <laughs> but it's a good It's a good sign. Very, like, you guys are leaders. Are you, I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything about I tr- I try to, but I honestly don't know what I'm talking about. But it's pretty cool. <laughs> So Sagittarius means I'm a leader. I like it. Yeah. This is brand new information. It's so. a good it's a good quality. Or at least I think so, because I'm I'm dating one. <laughs> but, <laughs> so by default, you have by to default. Think I gotta <laughs> I gotta stand by them. Okay. And the last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? I am a piano player. I have been a piano oh, no player way. since I'm seven years old, classically trained. And I have a keyboard in my apartment. So every night, or if not every night, every other night, I sit at that piano for a few hours and just hammer away. And that's really what keeps me leveled and calm and collected. I read a lot, too, for the same reason. So I'm either playing piano or reading. I'm really, like, I'm 90 on the inside. I'm really <laughs> no, <great>. me too. <laughs> Wait, that's so awesome. I used to play the piano a lot, a lot of Chopin. And, uh, ah, it was, it was, yes. It was good times. What are you, what are you reading? Right now I'm reading, um, I read a lot of historical fictions. I'm reading Man in the High Castle right now. Oh, cool. I feel like I've heard of that. But... It's a show on Amazon. Oh, that's um, why. Okay. I, I have not seen the show. I'm reading the book first. Nice. Got to do that like the, like the Harry Potters. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of always reading the book first, unless it's Forrest Gump. That book was terrible. Oh, I didn't even know that was a book. I didn't either. <laughs> until I found out it was. No wonder no one talks about it. There's <laughs> like 250 pages of my life I'm never going to get back. Well, Lacey, thank you so much for letting me ask you questions. I'm sorry about the confusion with the uh, the location, but where can my followers follow you? Like, um, how, like how can they keep in touch with you or and see what you're up to? Yes. So you follow me on Instagram at Lacey M Mark two M's. It's the same handle on Twitter. You will find me tweeting and Instagramming angry things about hockey, (laughs) uh, cooking a lot and letting you know when Harry Potter is on the sci-fi channel. You're a devil's fan, right? Oh, huge devil's fan. Jersey girls. You got it. We don't have any other teams. (laughs) (laughs) Saw that post. Well, thank you again. And, um, yeah. Bye everyone. Bye. Thank you. Okay, so I wanted to try something new where at the end of each episode, I would keep you guys posted with kind of like what's going on with Solace in the City and also just what's going on with my life because I realized that I spend most of this podcast interviewing people and kind of goes against the whole purpose of this, which is to open up. And so that'd be kind of, I don't know, an experiment to see what would happen if I opened up at the end of each episode. If you don't end up liking this, either stop listening or shoot me a DM and be like, hey, I don't want to hear about your life, which is fine. Um, but yeah, so with Sauce in the City, I guess some exciting things that are happening are I'm beginning to work on making more merch, which could be cool, um, specifically because I'm hoping to use all of the proceeds to go towards either like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention or the Jed Foundation, which are two organizations that I'm really passionate about and work with. So yeah, I, was, I have some stickers coming up, um, magnets, and then 
I have these shirts that say therapy in like the Supreme logo, which I thought would be kind of funny. And yeah, so if you are at all talented or, you know, good at this stuff, let me know um, because I have no idea what I'm doing. But yeah, so that's, I guess, what's in store for Solace in the City. We also have really cool guests coming up and super excited to share those episodes with you guys. But that's pretty much the gist. And then I guess in my life, I don't know, it's been, it's weird how one, I don't know, I've been, I feel like things have been good and then you hit a rough patch and it's just like really hard to, to not think that that rough patch indicates a huge setback and like, I don't know that you're going to question like all of the work you've done on your, for yourself and medications and things like that. And it's really scary. And I don't think, I think this is the first time I've really felt like, like that whole phrase, one step forward, two steps back. It's like, this really feels like I took a huge leap back, but I'm really trying to just keep pushing through. And like, I don't know. I had a yoga class today with Joe, who's on one of my episodes. She's awesome. And we were like in warrior three, which is like when you're on one leg leaning forward, like leg back, whatever. And she said something which didn't even apply to anything, but like physically what you're doing. And she was like, if you look down, you're going to go down. If you look up, you're going to go up. And like me being the, you know, reading way too much into things. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. But it's like cheesy. But if you think about it, if you look down, you're going to like, if or if you have a negative outlook on things, you're more likely going to like notice everything negative. Whereas like, even if I'm going through a hard time and like my, you know, brain isn't working as well as it should be, I just need to keep looking up and like thinking that's going to be fine. And then that in itself is like the whole manifestation thing, which I'm really into. So yeah, that was my little takeaway from my yoga class. And one thing else I've noticed just in general is like, I mean, granted, I understand that this whole coronavirus thing is really scary and, you know, people are losing money because of it and like things aren't great. But it really just shows that like in times like this, when there's uncertainty and when things aren't going well, like that's no reason to take out your frustration and your anger on other people. And I think that's something, I mean, granted, I'm like the first one to admit that I have in the past like really taken my frustration out on people who I'm close to which is not good at all but I you know I work in finance or like financial services so I like work with people in finance and it just it really shows me like I've really noticed how people become the punching bags for others when others are having bad things happen in their life and it's not good like people shouldn't do that I work with someone who's like a client and he actually like weirdly enough went to my high school which is like the tiniest boarding school like no one knows of it and one thing that's really great about my boarding school is like we focus so much on empathy and being nice to others and just treating everyone with kindness and he just snapped at me on Friday and like wrote me this such a mean email and the whole time I was thinking like this is so not St. Andrean of you like this is so mean and 
just, I don't know. It really made me just think about how the world needs a lot more kindness. And I don't know if, if I can pass along any words of advice to end this little speech on. It would be one of my favorite quotes, which is, Everyone you know is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Be kind, always. And hope that whoever's listening, you know, just treats everyone a little bit with a little more kindness and listens to that Harry Styles song. All right, bye guys.